A church with no prayer is a lighthouse with no power, serving no purpose, saving no one, surrounded by wreckage. God forbid we stay unplugged long enough from our source of power that we fail to shine the light of Christ himself and so be responsible for a community of wreckage around us. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. And as we get into our text this morning, I want to remind you of a few things regarding context. As we conclude the book of Ephesians, we are living out the gospel in chapters 4 through 6 that Paul so faithfully and thoroughly grounds us in in chapters 1 through 3. We are concluding this text of military preparation, spiritual preparation. As we have discussed over the last few weeks, the armor of God, I want you to make sure that as we read our text in just a moment, verse 18, that you remember that verse 18 to 20 falls within that context. It is not a new text. But that as we talk about this final preparation, the realities of our spiritual enemy being too great for us, the reality of Christian community that we fight with, which with we fight, is to be considered, is guiding us into verses 18 and 18 through 20, which is our text, which let's read that together now. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So as we work towards the conclusion of the book, as Paul gives his parting orders regarding the, the nature of our spiritual battle and the preparation provided through the armor of God, he concludes with the preeminent consideration, the reality of corporate prayer. And as today is the fourth, I, I couldn't help but do, it's not to the fourth, but this week will be the fourth, I couldn't help but delve into my historically nerdy side, which I'm going to subject you to now. You all know the famous battle on June 25th, 1876. What Americans call Custer's Last Stand. Little Bighorn, Montana. George Armstrong Custer prepares his troops to face the Lakota Sioux and Cheyenne Indians against the famous Native American warriors Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse. If you don't know some of the background of the story, the original plan is that Custer would go into the valley 
scope it out, and then prepare his own troops for attack. There were two other generals that were intended or that were ordered to meet with him. Custer, General Terry, and General Gibbon, forming an army of brigadiers, cavalry, and foot soldiers. Custer, however, upon the first scope in mid-June, finding the camp and becoming overambitious, took a troop of 210 out of his 600 and ordered them to attack the Native Americans. Yet he did not know that the Native Americans had foreseen this, and he took his men straight into a valley, trapping them where they were outgunned and outmanned significantly. The battle lasted less than an hour. Within the hour, the troop of 200 men, including 210 men, including Custer himself, were killed. Custer being defeated with two gunshot wounds. What Americans call Custer's last stand is perhaps overly optimistic. That's probably painting him in a more positive light than should be painted. The reality is he acted independently. He bucked the orders and led these men into death. And the, historic, the lingering historic question regarding Custer's last stand is how differently might the battle have gone had he just asked for the troops and waited for the troops. Even regarding his own troop, he had a troop of 600 men, and he only took with him 210, leaving the rest behind. And as we consider this text, the reality that we together have been talking for weeks now, that the armor of God is not to be thought of in, in isolation, that fighting spiritual battle is not to be thought of in isolation, it's to be thought of in, in a context of community. How often do you and I fall spiritually prey to the same foolishness? We run headlong into a battle, outgunned and outmanned, all by ourselves. We don't ask for help. And overambitiously, we take on enemies too big, foolishly, inevitably, offering ourselves up for defeat. And I say inevitable very intentionally because God intended Christianity to be done in community. And when it is not, we threaten both ourselves and all who may attempt to follow us. This morning, I want to show you from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, that a church without prayer is a church in great danger. A church without prayer is a church in great danger. So as we can continue this context of spiritual warfare and spiritual preparation, Paul brings us into, in one thought, and you can see it very clearly in verse 18. In fact, your translation may read like mine. It is lowercase. In other words, we're continuing the thought. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the word of the Spirit, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times. We are not starting something new. We are continuing this context of spiritual preparation up against spiritual warfare. So the first thing I want to note together in verse 18 is this prayer for protection. Prayer for protection in the context 
of the church. And as we note this idea that that this is the preeminent element of prayer, the preeminent preparation, it happens with almost like a climactic structure of the text that Paul works towards it, and he wants us to consider this last, and he gives the most attention to this particular element, this particular piece of the armor, so to speak, this particular protection. And so what detail does he give to it? Well, first of all, he notes the constancy of prayer. He notes the constancy of this prayer. Praying at all times. Praying at all times in the Spirit. And so we get the idea that this is something we're supposed to be doing, and not even just regularly. And maybe even constantly is an understatement. But prayer is to so much be a part of us that it is just a part of us. We're doing it all the time. It's constantly on our heart. It's constantly on our mind. We're in constant communication with the Lord. Paul says the same thing in, in Romans chapter, chapter 12. Faithful in tribulation, constant in prayer. Paul, he, he, tells, the, he tells Timothy that he, he, he desires that in all places and at all times every, all men should Pray, lifting up holy hands. We are to be praying constantly. But note the constancy of this prayer is to be considered within the idea of the community. We're not just supposed to be praying all the time. We're supposed to be praying all the time for and with one another. And we understand this from the very founding of the church, Acts chapter 2. The church is initiated in Acts chapter 2. It's founded because of the work of the Holy Spirit, it, it, the, the preaching of Peter, and then, and then this foundation in the latter part of the, the chapter. And then, and, then Paul, or the, and then the writer of Acts, Luke, gives us this, this kind of regulatory description of what took place in the church. They were committed to the prayers. It's what they did together. They got together and they prayed. Those kinds of prayers were probably written prayers, almost like the apostles had written a a liturgy or Old Testament prayers. They got together and they prayed prayers. So not only are we to be praying constantly, we are primarily to be praying within the context of the community constantly. However, too often we treat prayer like it's some sort of spiritual power generator in our life. So that when the ice storm comes, and the power gets knocked out, we hook it up so we have some source of energy. And we go about our life, living, functioning, something bad happens, and so we plug in the power of prayer, hoping it'll get us through. We should be considering prayer as the normal, functioning energy like it is electricity in our home. Constantly on, not on a switch, always energizing and empowering us. If you turn prayer on and off, you will limit your spiritual contribution to the church. So note with me, secondly, this community of prayer, making supplication for all the saints. This word prayer is just the general run-of-the-mill New Testament word for prayer. It's the idea of making requests before God. This idea of supplication is actually maintains the idea of urgency, that we're bringing urgent needs and urgent requests before the Father. There's actually a, there's actually a passion, a sense of desperation behind this. We understand our need for prayer because we understand that we're desperate and urgent people 
who have desperate and urgent needs. And as we consider this theology of supplication, this reality that we actually have the opportunity to bring the spiritual needs of one another to God Himself, because we have a high priest who makes perpetual, eternal intercession for us. And as Peter reminds us through the gospel, we are made a kingdom of priests, so we actually are given the opportunity of the priestly right of on behalf of the believers in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, bringing the needs of other believers to the Father. Something divine takes place when you are on your knees on the behalf of a brother or sister. Something literally, listen, Christ-like is taking place. You are participating in a ministry that Christ makes available, the ministry of intercession, through His perpetual ministry of intercession. And so you could apply it in the negative way as well. You are actually unlike Christ if you do not pray for the saints. Did you hear that? Not only will you limit your contribution to the community, it is unlike Jesus not to bring the needs of brothers and sisters before the Father. Not only is this an incredible opportunity, and it is an act of obedience, prayer has an immense unifying power in the church. It has an immense unifying power in the church. So let me just be very practical, bring this down to the carpet of where we live. When was the last time you prayed for somebody in your church? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put some parameters on it. Not on a Wednesday when we've met together to pray for people in our church. That's not allowed because that's assumed. So if you're here on Wednesday, we pray for people. What about in your own individual life? You just thought to pray somebody or you're constantly praying for other people in your community, this community of Grace Bible Church. If we didn't put the prayer sheet out, would you know their needs? If we didn't put out a prayer sheet which explicitly states some physical needs, then that's, it's very limited. That represents a tiny aspect of our congregation. Would you actually know people well enough to pray for them? Seriously, this is something that I do regularly in my life. I will think in my car or I'm home in my office or whatever, I will think through people in our congregation, and if I don't have one or two or three specific prayer requests for that individual, that lets me know I need to get to know them better. Specific, not just bless them today and make sure they have a nice day and make sure they feel good. I mean, we can pray that about anybody. That's easy. And listen, I'm going to say this as well. Physical prayer requests are easy to make. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't make them. You should make them. Pray for people. But spiritual prayer requests are harder to make. Do you know why? It means you have to know people on a spiritual level. So if you can't pray for people in your church, it indicates a weakness in the contribution to the community. So I would encourage you, take a step towards people so you can pray for them. The prayer life of a church is an indicator of its intimacy. 
Did you hear what I said? So if you do not have prayer requests for people, maybe you're not as intimately contributing as you think you are. And that should be said of all of us because it's true of all of us. There's another incredible thing that happens when you pray for and with one another. The unity of Christ, because of the intercessory work of Christ, just begins to cultivate itself. Show me a church where people are fighting, and I will show you a church that does not pray. They can't happen together. If you're praying for one another, you're not going to be fighting with with someone. Have you ever really been angry with someone and the last thing you are inclined to do is pray for them? But as soon as you start to, it actually softens your heart. You actually place them before the Father because it's an act of compassion. It's an act of Christ-likeness to bring someone, maybe especially someone with whom you have division or disagreement to bring them before the Father. The D.A. Carson, if you don't know D.A. Carson, he's, he's probably a top three New Testament scholar alive today. I heard him say in one of his sessions, I have resolved in my life to never put anyone down unless it be on a prayer list. What a, what a practical way to live your life. I have resolved to not put anyone down unless it be on a prayer list. So when that critical thought comes to your mind, when you really want to think angry, pray. And the compassion that it takes to place someone in the will of Christ for God's grace will begin to transform your heart. Can I just share with you pastorally? I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I just laid there and I just prayed. I just prayed that our congregation, that this would settle in us. That this would transform us. Because if you were to pick out little aspects of disunity or division, which on the whole I think our church does well, okay, on the whole. Or any heart in, in someone that, that, that keeps people out or stiff arms people, if, if that is your spirit towards anybody, I am certain you're not praying for that individual. Because when people pray, the cultivation of unity perpetuates itself. So do you know your brothers and sisters well enough to intercede for them? Do you know a spiritual prayer request in their life? Do you know what sins they're struggling with? What temptations beset them? What fears are captivating them? Do you, older moms, grandmoms, who've been through life, know the fears and insecurities and discipline issues of the younger moms and you can contribute to their life because you know them? Older men in the faith, fathers in the faith, 
Anybody who isn't young. (laughs) Have you taken a younger brother around the arm and just said, I want to pray for you, but I, I need to know you so that I can know what to pray for? So now you're actually contributing to the congregation, the community by measure of discipleship through the means of prayer. Teenagers, do you pray for the younger kids in your church? Do you pray for those in your youth, your youth group? You know who struggle in the youth group. You know that. You follow them on social media. You see what they post. You hear what they talk about. Do you pray for the ones that you know are struggling in youth group? College students. That person across the hall. That younger sibling. Do you pray for them? Paul then does something here that we have such a hard time doing today. And it's asking for prayer. Why is it so hard for us to ask for prayer? Because it admits help. It it admits insufficiency. It admits need. Paul then takes this desire, this spiritual preparation that, 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 that cultivates the the faith and intimacy of a church, and he turns it on himself, and he asks for prayer. And so note with me, not only this prayer for protection, but it transitions into a prayer for proclamation in verses 19 19 through 20. Can I just be very practical? Again, try to be very practical here. From the very outset, this assumes Paul has the humility to ask for prayer. And it's an okay thing to do that. It's a good thing to do that. Would you pray for me? Here's some things I'm asking prayer for. Why do we get threatened when people ask that question? And then maybe we give over-spiritualized answers. You know, I just, just pray that I can be really patient and loving with the kids because they've been trying lately. And I'm try- How about just like, man, I, I'm feeling it. Because we're all feeling it at times, right? I mean, let's just be honest. How many of you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, some days you just wake up feeling ungodly, and you're like, it's an ungodly day today, man. This is how it's going to be. This is how it feels like it's going to be. And you know, those of you young kids, it's like, this is how it is in our house most of the time. We have three kids, and usually when two of the kids have a bad day, somebody decides they're going to have a good day, and that is such a blessing. But some days, everybody decides they're going to have a bad day. Right? You see this in your marriage. You see this at work. How many of you walked into a work atmosphere and you go, I don't want to be here right now. This is tense. Something's not right. The boss shouts or whatever. And you're shouting on the inside everything you wish you could say. What about just pulling out your phone really quickly Texting your spouse or that person that you have a good relationship with in church and saying, it's going to be a day, I'm going to need you to pray. We have such a hard time just admitting we need spiritual energy that's going to keep us going that isn't human, but we all need it. And Paul recognizes this. And out of this humility, he prays specifically for his ministry. Verse 19, and also for me. Pray for me. 
I need you to pray for me that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. So he, he asks specifically in verse 19 for gospel clarity. He asks for gospel clarity. The sister text of this passage actually uses this word. Verse, uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am a prisoner, that I make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. What an incredible practical request from Paul. When I, here's what I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray that when I preach, I'm not confusing. Do you know why? Because if of all, because of all things in the world that should be stated clearly, for people to hear, it is the reality that they are sinners and that God has a plan through the fullness of time in Christ to unite all things to himself. And by the way, the natural man receives the, the things of God as foolishness anyway. So pray that the gospel is preached clearly. Some of you have been on the other side of a sermon that was just outright unclear. Some Bible teaching feels like the song. You know, you're going to grandma's house and you're going over the river and through the woods. And maybe you finally get there. But sometimes a Bible teacher goes over the, the river and through the woods and never even gets to grandma's house. The gospel's never proclaimed. You don't end where you're supposed to end. You never get there. Or to use a biblical analogy, some preachers take their people through the wilderness and wander around. And they make, they make no biblical way forward plain. And do you know what happens when the gospel is not made clear? And the pastor or the preacher, the, prof the professing Bible teacher takes the people through the wilderness. They will inevitably desire the slavery that they heard before. Why? Because it is the gospel alone that frees us from this slavery. And when the gospel is not clearly, completely, and constantly preached, people will return to their default, the slavery of self-effort and self-sufficiency. So the, the preacher of the gospel is to make plain the law of God, authoritatively, authoritatively laid down by God himself, lit up for understanding by the Spirit of God, culminating in the gospel completed by the Son of God which is certain to bring the wandering soul to the land and continually reject the slavery of before. Pray that the gospel is clear. So let's just be really practical. You know what you can pray on the way to church on Sunday morning? That whoever is preaching preaches the gospel clearly. And we live in a world, and I'm being very serious right now, as you, maybe as you think about the preachers that you listen to, or maybe, you know, maybe you're visiting with us today and you're thinking about churches to join or visit or whatever. Um, I know of a pretty good one. But um, as you're thinking about churches or whatever, can I, just, can I just make this 
plea to you. Do not sacrifice clarity for creativity. Because we live in a world where everything has to be creative. It has to look good. It has to sound good. It has to have a good effect. It has to look good when you put it on social media. Soundbite theology will not get you through life. Sound theology will. So don't fall prey in going to a church to the creative effect and feel and sacrifice the clarity of the gospel. That's what you need. That's what we need. The gospel made plain. And note, he also prays for courage. He prays for clarity and he prays for courage. And also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. This is a mystery we've already talked about, right? The mystery of redemption, chapter one. The mystery of unification, chapter two. The mystery of the gospel made plain and, 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 and completed by Christ in chapter three. The mystery of marriage, chapter five, which it, it mirrors the gospel, right? For which I am an ambassador, a representative, a representative of a king in chains, in bondage, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Not only do we live in a world that wants preachers to be creative rather than clear, we live in a world that wants to sacrifice boldly, or boldness on the altar of accommodation. I know what you need to say, but you need to say it this way. What needs to be said needs to be said the way the Bible says it. I'm about compassion. I'm about understanding. But if we understand Jesus, he went about full of compassion, ministering with grace and truth. So pray that the ministry of this pulpit be both clear, courageous, clear and courageous, made plain and said with boldness, it's how we ought to speak. What a, what a practical way to say this is. This is how I should speak. As a preacher of the gospel, I should do it with boldness. And so let me just, it's not selfish. Let me just reflect the spirit of Paul. Can I just pray or ask you to pray for Pastor Brandon and for myself and for your Sunday school teachers that they make the gospel clear and that they make it courageous? That they speak the truth with boldness? Can I just, can I just be transparent with you? I, I know that I'm living in a world that as it continues to progress, what I do may cost me some things. Eventually. All you have to do is drive to a different state right now and the laws are completely different. And it may cost our brothers something in this place, this country. And so let us pray that the preachers of the gospel do it with clarity and they do it with boldness. And just to conclude, as we remind you of these applications, the church will be in great danger if we do not proclaim the if we do not pray with one another and proclaim the gospel courageously and carefully. A church without prayer is a church in great danger. One danger of spiritual attack. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This danger of attack can happen from without or from within. Remember what, Acts, what, what, what Paul says in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders. When I depart, 
you will be attacked from the outside, and wolves will come in from, what's the next word, among you. This attack can happen in here, around you. And so let us be sober and vigilant and pray for one another and with one another. We are removing spiritual security and preparation when we lack prayer. And the second danger, if we do not pray, is the danger of missional uselessness. We're just not accomplishing what we're supposed to be accomplishing. Because as we pray, the gospel is preached. And as it is preached, it is to be done clearly and boldly. And as it goes forth, the church will continue to do what it should do, which is to proclaim the gospel for God's glory and the salvation of sinners and the discipleship of saints. A church with no prayer is a lighthouse with no power, serving no purpose, saving no one, surrounded by wreckage. God forbid we stay unplugged long enough from our source of power that we fail to shine the light of Christ himself and so be responsible for a community of wreckage around us.